thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. All right. Good morning. Radiant. So please today, bear with me. I've got a James Earl Jones scratchy voice. So just don't, don't shout me down over there already. Uh, so excited to be here with you today. Had an awesome time in our first service. Uh, our church has admired you from a distance for many years, and uh, you live up to your name. You are, in fact, radiant. And one of my spiritual love languages is clapping, and you guys clap in church. And you clap loud, and you clap on beat, which is awesome. What I love about clapping is you can't be a spectator. You actually have to put your coffee down in order to clap. I love it. And so we're excited to be here with you today. Uh, David is a close friend, and Renata, their family is incredible. You know, David, your pastor, you guys are just ridiculously blessed, like stupid favor on you to have them as your pastors. And uh, David is a revival father. And what Father's Day, what they do is they don't just teach what they know, they impart who they are. And he imparts who he is. It's available to all of you. And uh, I love that he leads with tears. He's got a tender heart. You can't force tears. You can't manufacture tears. They just come. And he leads as a, as a servant leader. And it's just beautiful and brilliant and inspiring to watch. And then their family is incredible. I mean, what I love about their kids is their kids have their own faith. It's not mommy and daddy's faith. It's their faith. And they live it, and it's living and active and bright and beautiful. Uh, we had Dawson with us at our prayer and worship conference a couple years ago, our first one. And that young man's got some Messiah fire. And, uh, you know, he doesn't have fire because he's young. He's got fire because he's supposed to be on fire. Just like me, just like you, all of us are to burn for Jesus. And uh, yesterday we were at the new building and you know, just so you know, the size of your building would fit like nine San Francisco churches in it. Just so you know, like I look at that, I'm like, how many square feet? That's like two city blocks where I live in, uh, in the Mission District in San Francisco. And we were in your prayer chapel yesterday. And I just want you to know, Jesus is already in that chapel waiting on you. He's already there. And the future of your church is in that prayer chapel. And I would encourage you, challenge you, invite you, whatever I can do to get you there. Whenever you're in town, make it a priority to be there every week. Jesus will meet you in that chapel. He will answer your prayers. He'll fill your heart with his destiny for your life. I'd encourage you to do that because I believe this is how God's gonna use Radiant in Kansas City and really regionally, is he's gonna use you as a refuge. He's going to use you as a healing place for broken, hurting people. Many of them that have deconstructed their faith are going to find their way back home to Jesus through your love and your tender care and you creating these spaces for people to meet him. And so I'm thrilled and excited to journey with all of you. And I am convinced that your prayer life must, 
must be stronger than ours in San Francisco because yes, the Chiefs did win the Super Bowl. But listen up, we're activating a lot of prayer this season. And so y'all better step up your prayer game if you're gonna beat us. That's all I gotta say. You'll see a picture of my family, uh, my college sweetheart, Amanda. We've been married 18 years. These are my three kids, uh, Max, Jack Jones, and Maddie. Uh, McGovern men uh, do not wear pastels except for one day of the year, and that would be Easter. I think my son Max has grown like five inches since this picture. He's almost as tall as me now. And uh, I'm just so thankful for my kids. Uh, the Holy Spirit's coming on my kids. I mean, and you know, we're on the front lines. We're tip of the spear. We're in the bunker, duking it out, really at the gates of hell in our country. And uh, what makes it all worth it is when the Holy Spirit comes on your kids. We do these Sabbath dinners on Friday nights. We have guests in our home and we, we have a beautiful dinner and then we receive communion. And, and it's just been amazing to watch my kids lead us in communion and prayer for healing and prayer for the lost. And then we have a, a time where they give words to the people that come. And I'm telling you, my kids are prophetic, man. Like, I don't know where they got that from. They didn't get it from me. And uh, God's using them at school. It's just, it's such a gift. It makes all the pain and the resistance worth it when you see God come on your kids. And so David's asked me to share just a little bit of story before we get into the teaching today about what God's doing. And our prayers um, have really been synthesized to one thing. We want more of God in our gatherings. We want more of God in and through our people throughout the week. And that's really what we're measuring and what we're looking at. And uh, we, a team of us went to Asbury in February. Anybody go to Asbury? Anybody here? We had several people in the first service. Um, and at Asbury, we, we had this pretty significant experience with Jesus where we received the gift of tears. And uh, before that, I would cry maybe like one time a year, and it was usually dust in my eye, right? And I'm an Irishman, and, and uh, we don't cry. And since Asbury, I think I've cried every single Sunday in church. It's not just me. Every gathering, there's tears during the teaching, worship, response time. Uh, we've had tears in every single prayer room since Asbury. We even have tears now every week in our staff meeting. The tenderness, the repentance, the purity of heart, the hunger for God, it's so real. And so every Sunday we send out a team, you'll see a picture here, uh, literally a block away from our building in uh, the Mission District. This is how our houseless friends and neighbors live. It doesn't even look like America. It's disgusting. Uh, it's, it's inhumane. It's undignifying. And so what we do is we bring people dignity by bringing them coffee and socks and offering prayer. We never ask them, can I pray for you? Because the answer is always no. So we learn very early on, we ask, how can I pray for you? And as we have a coffee with them, like Jesus said, if you give someone a cup of water in my name, we're just giving them a cup of Kraft San Francisco roasted coffee. And then they begin to share their story with us. And it was just a couple months ago, we're in the streets, right before I preach, I'm out with the team. We meet this young man and he's living right here in this mess and getting a cup of coffee, offering prayer. One of the guys on our team looks at him and says, hey, Cameron, this is where you are, but this is not who you are. God's made you for more. And this young, hardened, tough guy, tears start flowing down his face. And he says, I, I can't live like this anymore. I'm turning myself in today for all the crimes I've committed. I'm gonna do my time and God's gonna be with me. I'm giving my life to Jesus. And so we prayed for him and tears are streaming down our faces. And, and, and this, this tough guy gives his heart to Jesus. We haven't seen him. We prayed for protection in the prison system. And as we're doing that, the Holy Spirit whispers to me 
And he said, Mark, the tears in the prayer room are becoming the tears on the street. See, what we sow in prayer, what we sow in tears, we reap in the joy of salvation on the streets. Uh, our prayer rooms, we literally see what would normally happen on a Sunday gathering is happening in our prayer rooms. We had a, a middle-aged woman who um, got in an accident and got, ended up getting addicted to pills, pain pills, lost her job, lost everything, living in her car, stumbles into our prayer room. We fill her car up with gas. We give her food. No one prays for her. Nobody says anything. She has an encounter with Jesus. She kneels down. She gives her life to Jesus without anybody leading her to Jesus. I would encourage you, the friends that you're thinking about bringing on Sundays, I'd bring them to the prayer meeting. They don't need information, they need encounter. And in the place of prayer, they can meet Jesus in a significant way and it can turn their life around. I've told our team, hey guys, get the baptismal tanks ready in prayer rooms because people are gonna get saved in prayer rooms and we're just gonna dunk them right after. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, I'll never forget the story of a, a 67-year-old woman named Hilda who was just really distressed and we offered her coffee and prayer and she said, I have nobody. My husband was killed by the police. My brother died in prison. I have nobody. And, and we said, no, 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 Hilda, we know someone that will never leave you nor forsake you. Tears flowed out of her eyes. She goes into her pocket. She takes her drugs. She throws her drugs on the ground. And she says, I want to be free. I want Jesus. We prayed for her. She got all kinds of freedom. About a month later, my kids... And I saw her on the street, off drugs, off the street, in rehab, with a job. Now, most Sundays when we go out as a team, our minds are flooded with thoughts about how what we're doing is a waste of time. It's not going to help anybody. Just go back inside. Don't, don't, this coffee, it's not helping anybody. You're not fixing any problems. And then we meet someone like Hilda. And we meet someone like Cameron. And if I just touch one person, it's worth it. Now, I'd love to tell you it's all easy. I know many of us are watching online and in the news what's happening in San Francisco, and it's dark, and it's doom loop. I, I wish I could tell you it's not that bad, but it's actually far worse, far worse. Oftentimes, on our walk to church, we don't know if we're walking by a sleeping human or a dead human. The fentanyl crisis is very, very real, and it's not getting easier. It's getting harder. It's getting darker, but we also feel like God's called us there for such a time as this. My son, Jack Jones, who you saw, he was violently attacked by a homeless man, had horrible nightmares for six months, panic attacks. Our whole church was praying for him. He'd wake up in a cold sweat and freak out. We couldn't go anywhere if he didn't know where we were going because he was in his mind thinking whether or not there would be people. And slowly through prayer and love and teaching and discipleship, Jack is now part of that outreach team almost every Sunday, laying hands on sick people and leading people to Jesus. Lastly, I'll say this, we'll get into the scripture today, is across the bay, what Jesus is doing is he's awakening his sleeping church to prayer, and he's uniting his praying church. We declare over the bay that a new day is rising over the bay, revival in the church, renewal in our cities, and awakening people to the presence of God. And so Francis Chan approached us about a 50 days of prayer and worship nights. And so we've assembled churches all across the Bay. And between Easter and Pentecost of this year, we did seven all night prayer meetings, praying for a move of God. We had thousands of people turn up, hundreds of people pray through the night over a seven week period. And I just want you to know, don't count San Francisco out yet. I believe our best days are still ahead. 
you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalm 84. You may have read this on a t-shirt or a bumper sticker. It's one of our favorites. Better is one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. Now, I want you to just think about this. Let's just get practical for a second. You mean to tell me that these folks had a day with Jesus in church, in the house of God, in the prayer room, that was better than three years of their best experiences combined? You're telling me better than three Christmases, better than three birthdays, better than three vacations and spring breaks, better than three Valentine's Day with your honey? That's a, that's, a, that's a lot of good experiences. To take three years of your best human experiences, combine them all into one, and these guys are telling us, I had a day with Jesus that was better than that. Now, if I'm honest with myself, I don't think I've ever had a day with Jesus like that. I've had moments with Jesus. I've been in incredible gatherings. I've been by myself with him. I've, I've had some amazing times, but I don't know that I've had something that I would say is better than three years of my best human experiences all combined into one day. As I thought about that, I felt almost a little bit guilty and ashamed to even feel or think that way. But then I, I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered to me, not in a condemning way or an accusatory way, but in an inviting way. Mark, you haven't experienced it yet, but that's what's available. That's the invitation, that's the offer, that you can have an intimacy with me, an encounter with me, an experience with me that is so beautiful and profound that nothing on this earth could touch it or come close to it. And that's the invitation that Jesus gives to every one of us. Paul talks about going to the third heaven. We see that Philip was actually like transported, teleported, matrix style, right? We see Enoch, how do you get up to heaven? I don't know, but he did. And what we see in the scripture is that all of these are invitations. They're not one-offs. It's God saying, hey, I did it, and it was recorded in this book so that you could then receive it as a lifestyle, not as a one-off. Can I tell you that there are revelations in this book that have yet to be received by any human? There are miracles there are healings that have yet to be released that no human has yet experienced, but Jesus is just waiting for us to press in and to receive his invitation to more of him. There was a man that led a movement in Spokane, Washington during a time where Spokane was known as the healthiest city in the world. And he talked about three layers or depths of healing. He talked about divine healing, divine health, and divine life. So divine healing would be Matthew 9. So it'd be where Jesus prays for sick people and, and every person gets healed. Sickness, disease, affliction, every single one of them are healed. That would be healing. So if there's something wrong in my body, my body gets healthy, it gets whole. The divine health is different. Divine health is where everybody gets sick but me. And because I'm healthy, my health gets them healthy, which would have been great to have during COVID, right? Instead of the super spreader, we would have been like super healers. And so we see this in, in the scripture where Jesus meets a leper. And if you're a leper, you're in quarantine because you were contagious and you would give healthy people leprosy. But when that leper meets Jesus, Jesus doesn't get leprosy, the leper gets healing. That's called divine health. That everyone around me may be sick, but the health of heaven is on the inside of me. It gets them healthy. It doesn't get me sick, I'm immune. And then we go even a step further we talk about divine life, where there is a life from another world so deep within us that it emanates 
outside of us. We read it in Acts 5, where Paul, the apostle, they, they figure out, they must have like Apple mapped or wazed his way to the temple, his route. And, and they figured out that when Paul walked, if you stood in Paul's shadow, you would get healed. And so, so Peter didn't tell them to do this, but they just started lining people up on his prayer walk to the temple. They'd line them up in rows. And, and the Bible says, read in your Bible, Acts 5, every single person that was in Peter's shadow was healed and demonic spirits of oppression left them. Then you flip over to Acts 19. Paul's a tent maker. He's got a sweaty shirt. Someone touches his shirt, gets healed, and they have this brilliant idea. Let's take his shirt, cut it up in pieces, make it into prayer cloths, and we'll send it out to everyone we know that's sick and afflicted. And the Bible says that every single person that touched that prayer cloth was healed. This is the invitation. This is the lifestyle that every single one of us are invited into. Jesus says in John 14, everything you've seen me do, it's available for you. These signs that you see me do, you will do this in even greater measure as the body of Christ here on planet earth. So how do we get there? How do we go from reading about it in the history books and in the Bible to actually seeing it in our time, in our day? Because to be honest with you, I'm just tired of reading about it. I want to live it. I don't want to just taste it once. I want it to be part of my daily rhythm. There's this word that gets us there, and it's ancient. It's a sacred path. We forgot about it in the American church. It's called discipleship. And discipleship has three rhythms that take us deeper and more intimately to become like Jesus. It starts by learning how to be with Jesus which can be tough because we're the most distracted people to ever live. We gotta put our phones down in order to get our hearts open to meet with him. Be with Jesus. And then after we get with him a while, we realize we, we, we just want more. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I've never tasted him and thought, I don't want any more of that. Every time I taste him, I'm like, wherever that came from, I want more of that. I don't wanna taste, I want a meal. The issue is, is he's laid out a feast and we're settling for crumbs. He's laid out a feast enough for me and you and every hurting, broken person out there. But we're settling for crumbs just to whet our appetite when he wants us to have so much more. So being with Jesus leads to us becoming more like him. Attitude, behavior, thought, deed, action. We begin to like what he likes, want what he wants, care about what he cares about. We get his perspective, his eyes, his heart for people. And then lastly, we do what Jesus did. This is what some have called the Jesus stuff. This is when our life with him gets really, really fun. When he uses our life to make a difference in other people's lives. So this way of discipleship, this doesn't happen by accident. None of us become like Jesus accidentally. All you married folks, you're not gonna roll over tomorrow in bed and look at your spouse and be like, whoa, last night you went to bed, you were not like Jesus, now today. You're so much like Jesus. That's just not how it works. We don't become like Jesus in a day. We become like Jesus every day. We become like Jesus daily. We have these rituals and rhythms and routines that, that help us hear from him and draw close to him and follow him in all of his ways. This is where Dallas Willard, speaking about gospel discipleship, says the gospel requires effort but never earning. We can't earn it. We can't manufacture it. We can't produce it. We can't make it happen. We can only receive it. And we can only receive it from Jesus. 
And what happens is daily as we walk with him, we become like him. See, repetition leads to formation. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've got a chicken noodle soup dad bod figure. That means chicken legs, noodle arms, right? Now, I would love to go to the gym and do one rep and be like ripped, but that's not how that works. I got to do more than one rep. I got to do sets of reps, and then I got to do sets of those reps every single day in order to shape and to form. See, it's like some of us that are like, oh, yeah, I tithed one time. It didn't work. Oh, really? I mean, you mean to tell me you tithed one time and you you didn't pay off all your debt and get a million-dollar mansion in like one week? Like, it's intellectually dishonest to think that we're going to try something one time and it's going to change everything. No, it's a daily invitation that Jesus gives to every one of us to walk with him, to get close to him, to open the word, to talk to him in prayer, to give him our burdens so that we can be close to him. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, apostolic father during the Nazi regime, was referring to when he, he said to his Bible, Bible college students, he looked out at Nazis training camp of young cadets and he said, this right here, us, discipleship has got to be stronger than that. What God is forming in us has got to be deeper and stronger than what Satan is forming in them. The love being formed in us has got to be deeper than the hatred formed in them. See, oftentimes people ask me a lot about what it's like following Jesus in San Francisco and they talk about how hard it is. And I'd say, well, actually, I don't think that's really true. I think it's easier to follow Jesus because it's harder. You can't follow him halfway where we're at. We're at war every day. Everything's contested. Financially, family, kids, marriage, darkness, exhaustion. I grew up in the Midwest for 25 years. I had no idea there there was a war. I didn't know there was a war going on. Easy, comfort, pleasure, nothing contested. Had no idea what was really going on. Not just where I was, but across the earth. And so what is it gonna take for me to truly follow Jesus well? In our modern world of so many distractions, what's required of me to become who I'm born to be, to become a radiant disciple? We, we call it defiant disciples in our context. You guys call it radiant. What's it gonna take for you to truly shine like you were born to? What's that gonna look like? Exodus 14. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out, everybody say with me, defiantly. See, as Christians, we have a history, we have a heritage, and we have an inheritance of defiance. It's in our blood. It's in our DNA. We're to be defiant, not for defiance sake, but for the sake of the king and the kingdom. We see that Moses defied the slavery and the oppression of Egypt. David defied Goliath's fear and intimidation. We see Daniel defied Babylon and said, I don't care if you're going to kill me for praying. I'm going to pray three times a day, and I'm going to open up my window so everybody can hear me pray. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't care. They went to the fiery furnace, and they said, even if he doesn't deliver us out, we're good. This is who we are. Jesus seemingly defied the Roman Empire and the Pharisaical structure at the time. See, the best Christians across the globe today, most of them, are praying from a prison. The persecution of the church globally right now is more intense than it's ever been in human history. 
and we don't even know about it. Because you're like me, most likely. It's so easy just to scroll our life away with vain things that none of us will even remember tomorrow morning when we read the news of some pain or some problem in some distant land. See, to truly be a Christian today, it will require a deeply formed, defiant, radiant faith. A truly defiant faith will produce a beautiful, profound, passionate love for God and for people. I think a beautiful way of portraying this is Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son returning to the father. And this is a type and symbolism of Rembrandt's own faith journey as he gave his life to Jesus towards the end of his life. And we see in there the, the loving father receiving the son. And in our faith journey, all of us have been the prodigal that's ran away. And we've also been the elder brother that's self-righteous. But the invitation is for us to grow beyond that to eventually become the loving father that offers love even when we've been rejected and hurt. That offers unconditional love to a broken, hurting, angry, sad, confused, depressed, exhausted humanity. See, we're talking about a gospel defiance, a powerful love that defies hate, a peace that defies an anxious world, a surrender that defies pride, a compassion that defies apathy, a forgiveness that defies evil, a generosity that defies greed and consumerism, a hunger for more of God that defies comfort, and a boldness that defies fear. So we're going to have a little Selah moment today. We do this in our church every week. Our people love it. We take a minute and a half, two minutes, and the word Selah means to pause, consider, reflect. So for the next two minutes, I want you to reflect on this question. What is defiant or what is radiant about your faith right now? What is radiant? What is defiant about your faith right now? Let's take a couple minutes and talk amongst ourselves. Right, I think you got the hang of it. So good. You know, our culture says, you don't need to be defiant. What would you need to be defiant for? We're, we're not enslaved. We're Americans. We're free people. But what we do in America is we call freedom slavery. We're enslaved to our education, our technology, and this ideology of social progress. 
See, in the West, we call slavery freedom. Freedom is getting whatever you want, whenever you want. That's what we call freedom. The late, great Timothy Keller said, today's culture believes the thing we need salvation from is the idea that we need salvation. Can I tell you today, we need salvation. We need it bad. We can't save ourselves. Suicide rates in our nation are skyrocketing post-COVID. The mental health is plummeting, it's devastating. We're enslaved by anxiety, depression, loneliness. Homeless is soaring, not just in my neighborhood, but literally across our nation. Human trafficking is on the rise. There are more slaves today than at any other time in human history. Rich Velotis, giving cultural commentary on our day, says our world is deeply impacted by COVID, political ideology, racial hostility. Our breathing is impacted and our hearts are ailing. See, the world needs salvation, and so does the church. We need salvation from a shallow, Sunday-only, casual faith where Jesus exists to give me what I want. That's what we need to be rescued from. See, our current faith landscape in America is that each generation is becoming less religious and less Christian. Increasing numbers of people see the church as a, as a threat it's bad for people and a major obstacle to social progress. Now, here's what's interesting. If you study church history and revival, you'll learn this, that there has never been a fast-growing revival in a post-Christian secular society. Keyword there is yet. That yet is me and you. That yet belongs to us. I don't know what you see, but I see a harvest field. I see a beautiful opportunity where people's hearts are open like they've never been open before. See, to become a flourishing, radiant disciple today, you're gonna have to defy a few things, and it starts with you. You're gonna have to defy and deny yourself in a time where it's cool to be absolutely obsessed with self. I mean, you know what the most taken picture is, right? Selfies. I'm not even gonna ask you to open your phone right now and count the percentage of photos that are actually selfies. We're obsessed with self and we don't even know it. We act like it's normal now. We're gonna have to defy the way of culture in a time where, where people will cancel you in a moment. We've lost the ability to have a civil, intelligent, wise conversation in public. If someone disagrees with us, we just cancel them. And then lastly, in America, we've Americanized Christianity and the gospel. Instead of being formed in the image of Jesus, we want to form Jesus into our image. And instead of us following him, we want him to follow us. Can I tell you, you cannot dictate the terms of your discipleship. We must be shaped and formed, not by a cultural narrative, but by a biblical narrative. And this narrative is the narrative of love. See, real love is defiant, it's radiant. In a culture of me, 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 in a culture of radical individualism, we've gotta be the first that lay our lives down with joy, gratitude, and humility, knowing that this is the best way to live, and Jesus showed us how. See, real love looks out, real love moves out, real love prays out, real love pours out. That's what real love does. Seeing a people of powerful love, a radiant disciple, it requires that we become 
defiant towards everything that tries to keep us focused on ourselves. We've got to say no to being consumers and yes to being contributors. We got to say, Jesus, use my life any way you want. Use me to give, use me to contribute. Use my life to make a difference. See, radiant disciples follow Jesus well. They walk with him closely. They want what he wants. And you know what? That never happens alone. You can't follow Jesus by yourself. Have you read in the Bible? There's a lot of one another's. And those become very problematic alone. <laughs> Forgive one another. Can't do that by yourself. Love one another. Can't do that by yourself. Serve one another. Can't do that by yourself. Give to one another. Can't do that by yourself. All of the one another's require sacrificial community, not convenient community, which is what all of us think we want, but really know deep down inside the convenient community that doesn't cost you anything, it doesn't really help you. It kind of keeps you stagnant right where you are. And I want to close with this as the band comes. Jesus is teaching from Matthew 9. The promised land we have been taught in America is the American dream. That's not true. The promised land is the harvest field. Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. I think he said that because he was prophetic. He knew that we would be a face down generation. You can't see hurting people right here. You have to lift up your eyes. You gotta turn off your phone. You gotta let go of yourself in order to see all the broken, hurting people all around you, that Jesus wants to use you to make a difference in their life. He says the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. See, the promised lion, it's not the career, it's not the education, it's not the, the house and the retirement, it's not safety and security. Following Jesus is dangerous and uncomfortable. But that's why we have the Holy Spirit. He's our comforter. See, when we follow Jesus, we will prize the harvest field. Broken, hurting people meeting him more than anything else. The promised land is the harvest field. And can I tell you, there's nothing like Jesus using your life to lead someone to him. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like praying for somebody and then seeing that person come to Christ. I want you this week to ask Jesus to give you a vision, a vision of you leading someone to Jesus every year for the rest of your life. Get a vision from heaven that can't come from anywhere else about you leading people that are close to you and far from him every single year of your life for the rest of your life. Leading at least one person to Jesus every single year. It may not mean much, but ask them once they give their life to Jesus. It'll mean everything to them. See, the gospel is not safe. It's not comfortable. It's not secure. It's not luxurious. It's not filled with pleasure. There's some pain mixed in there. It can be hard. You're going to want to quit. But you're a follower of Jesus. We don't quit. He puts grace in us to keep our hand on the plow. Isaiah 6, 8. I think Isaiah gets it right, this posture. He says, here I am. Send me. See, the invitation for more of God. Only the available get what's available. 
See, our posture has got to be, Jesus, I'm not too busy. I'm not overcommitted. You can use me. Anytime, anywhere, wherever you want to use me, I'm not going to tell you no. I feel like I got nothing to give. Give him your nothing. He'll receive your nothing and he'll turn it into something. I'll never forget the phone call I got from my son, Jack Jones, basketball coach, two Christmases ago on Christmas Eve. And he said, are you a pastor? And I said, I don't like people to know that about me. He said, well, you don't come to any Sunday games. I said, that's true. You're very smart. And he said, I got a problem. I got a, a diagnosis. I think I got cancer. And he said, uh, I grew up in church, but I've been so far away from him, I don't deserve him. And I'm scared to pray to him because I only call on him when I need him. And I took him to Luke 15 and Rembrandt's painting and the prodigal returning to the father. I said, listen, Eric, I just want you to know he just loves to hear your voice. Jesus doesn't clean the fish and then catch him. He just catches the fish and then he cleans them. You don't need to do anything to receive Jesus. And this middle-aged man started bawling his eyes out on Christmas Eve, gave his life to Jesus. And in the last two years, we've seen him lead so many people to Jesus. I don't know where you are today, but Jesus does. And I want to invite all of us to bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to give you an invitation to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe this is the first time you've heard about Jesus. Maybe it's the first time in a long time you've been serious about receiving his love and following him. If, if that's you, I'm gonna to count to three here in a moment. And all you're gonna simply do is just lift your hand. I'm gonna lead all of us in a short prayer, inviting Jesus to lead our lives. If that's you, if you wanna follow Jesus, you wanna recommit your life to Jesus, when I count to three, just lift your hand. One, two, three, lift your hand. I see those hands, I see them over here. I see you in the back. So I see you right here on the side. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put your hands down. Jesus sees your hands. That's what's most important. Jesus, thank you for my new friends today that wanna know your love, that wanna follow you well, that wanna receive all that you long to give. Wash them in forgiveness. Make them new. Help them experience your love and follow you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name. Let's give a round of applause for all those that put their faith in Jesus today. If you would, stand on your feet with me today, please. I've got a two-fold response that I want to pray. And if you're here today and you've heard from the teaching, Mark, that resonates with me. Something Something registered when you talked about, here I am, send me. I want my life to count. I don't just want to tick off the Sunday box. I want, I want to be close to Jesus. I want him to use my life. I want, to, I want to lead people to Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to put your hand on your heart right now. And I want you to say this prayer, not to me, but to him. And it's really simple. Just say to him with your hand on your heart, say, Jesus, here I am. I'm not hard to find. I'm right here. I'm not looking to run. I'm not looking to hide. I'm not too busy. 
right here. Send me. Wherever you want to send me, send me. Send me to work, to school, to my neighborhood, to my family, to my friends. Send me to my neighbors. Send me wherever you want to send me. I'm okay. Send me. Thank you, Jesus, that you're hearing that prayer, that you're responding right now. That you're going to send your available people. In Jesus' name. And then lastly, I want to pray over all of Radiant Church. I do want to say thank you for listening to this awful rendition of James Earl Jones. Please do forgive me and thank you for your understanding. The most ancient posture of prayer. I squeaked right there. I sound like my teenage son that's going through puberty. Hopefully he's watching. The most ancient form of prayer is hands out. If you would do that today, this simply says three things. Open hands, open heart, open life. If you want more of God today, just go ahead and open your hands like this. You're opening yourself to heaven. Jesus, I pray for more of God in our marriages, more of God for our singles, more of God for our students and our kids and our grandparents. I pray for more of God in this room every Sunday, more of God online, more of God in the prayer chapel, more of God as they move, more of God, Lord, as you give them new locations and they plant more churches. Lord, would you just give Radiant Church more of you, cause them to shine, cause them to be radiant. So cause them to be used fully, make them fully useful for you, Lord. Bless their finances, their giving, everything that they need for the vision that you have for them. Lord, we trust that you're forming Radiant Church for more of you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. We love you, Mark. Thank you. We received that word. Uh, so beautiful. And your family to us. Love the church that God is building in San Francisco. Thank you for that word. Hey, can we give Pastor Mark another hand? He's poured it out. No voice. Yeah, there it is. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, there's a few things. One, there's a card in your uh, seat. If you wouldn't mind just filling that out and then dropping it in one of these buckets as they pass in just a minute. Um, there's also a space where there's a QR code. And if you would like to do that digitally, we'd love that. In addition, if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, um, we have these New Believer New Testaments up here and available for free for you. And we would love for you to take that. You can pick one up out in the info booth as well. But, and also we'll have a prayer team up here. And if you made a decision to follow Jesus and what you'd like to do is tell somebody uh, on the prayer team, any of those ways would be great ways. Different personalities like to connect in different ways, but we would love that. Let's take a moment. You know, Pastor Mark, one of the things that you said when you talked about uh, at the end there, about one person a year with a vision to lead them to Jesus. That's actually what our retreat um, on, with our teenagers is. That is the action item. And so anyway, that's cool. That was the thing that God dropped in Dawson's heart and um, we're excited about that. So I'm gonna pray over our, all of us 
but uh, this is what our teenagers are committing to on Saturday. So let's just pray that. I just wanna pray it as we go into the offering here. Father, I, I, I ask that deep in our DNA as disciples, this idea of the harvest field is the promised land. And even the practical handle to say, I got a vision to lead one person to Jesus. It's God that does the work. I just sow the seed, but I wanna sow enough seed. I wanna be faithful enough, Lord God, that there's a part of my life is leading people to Jesus. It's part of my testimony. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd help us. Love that phrase about being contributors, not just consumers. Jesus, we pray that there would be a harvest in this city. Father, in the name of Jesus, even as we think about that, that prayer chapel, as we think about that new building, I pray, Lord God, that that would be <laughs> like a harvest center over generations to come where people come to know Jesus week after week. People are discipled week after week. People are, are coming to the prayer meeting discouraged and weak and broken and lead, lead filled with the power of God, marked. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. God, we would just ask that we would be radiant disciples. I love even in the midst of a culture that focuses on self, we pour out our lives. I just even ask that the way that Mark gave the examples about the people near them that are homeless in San Francisco. God, there's people all around us that need Jesus. Open our eyes, our eyes off our screens and onto the hurting and the broken. Lord Jesus, do a work, we pray. Take what we give. God, we pray that you would use it to make a difference, Lord God. God, we love giving. We love serving. We love praying. We want the things of Jesus to be alive in us. We give cheerfully and gladly. In Jesus' name.